Hi, ladies. Welcome back to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Wendy McGinnis, and I have the pleasure of discussing James 2, verses 1 through 13. I want to quickly review the landscape of the book of James and offer some perspective before we focus on our main topic of discussion, the sin of prejudice, or in gentler terms, favoritism. If you look at each New Testament letter, you will realize that each letter has a unique theme, purpose, and originally intended audience. In Romans, for example, Paul gives spiritual strength to the believers in Rome by encouraging them to live out the salvation given to them through Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians was sent to the church at Corinth to help correct certain problems within their congregation. Galatians was written to a group of churches to warn them against legalism and false teachings, and Ephesians addressed the need to promote unity within the church. You get the idea. And now, as we study James, we discover that the Jewish Christians being addressed by James were having some problems in their personal lives and in their church fellowship. James, the half-brother of Jesus, focused on the themes of wisdom, faith, and moral and ethical conduct. The audience of James needed some guidance on how to transform their intellectual beliefs into a living, growing faith. They were experiencing difficult trials. They were facing temptation to sin. Some of the believers were catering to the rich while others were being robbed by the rich. It was a bit messy. And unfortunately, doesn't their messiness sound a whole lot like our messiness? As with the other epistles, the epistle of James is perfectly applicable to us today. We can directly apply the advice James had for these spiritually immature Christians because oftentimes we can be just like them. While we know the truth, at times we can fail to apply it into our daily lives. Most often we are clear in our minds on what we believe, but sometimes what we truly believe is not reflected well in our words and our actions. So how can we get the most out of today's study? I think it's best for all of us to begin by quietly examining our own hearts to determine if our external words, our beliefs, and our actions are all in agreement. As an aside, I'd like to say that the definition of integrity is when your words, thoughts, beliefs, and actions are all in harmony. We can check our spiritual temperature by assessing the alignment of these four areas. Depending on how you read the book of James, you can either feel encouraged by its instruction or feel discouraged because it seems like an impossible task to achieve. What I want you to remember as we study James is that it's a guidebook written for Christians. It is not intended to make us feel like failures, but rather to point out weak spots so we can ask God and our community to help us develop and grow in these areas. Perspective and paradigm are critically important in assessing ourselves. Let me give an example that will hopefully put us in the right frame of mind to study scripture. So this woman, she was waiting at the airport for her flight. She bought a bag of cookies, found a place to drop, and took out her book. She started to read and suddenly noticed a man sitting beside her grab a cookie from her bag. She just tried to ignore this. So she kept munching on her cookies and at the same time watched how this shameless cookie thief was diminishing her stock. She thought to herself, if I wasn't such a nice person, I would blacken his eye. When only one cookie was left, she looked with interest and wondered what he'd do. He smiled took the last cookie, and broke it in half. She thought, this guy is so rude, he didn't even show any gratitude. After her flight was called, the woman gathered her bags and headed to the gate. She took her seat on the plane and started to look for her book, which was almost complete. As she reached into her bag, she gasped with surprise, as there was an unopened bag of cookies. A dreadful thought crossed her mind. If my cookie bag is here, then the other one was his, and he was just trying to share. She realized that she was the rude one, but it was too late to apologize. 
I just love this story because this lady is so relatable. How often do we jump to conclusions about a person or situation and we allow our perception to hijack our reality? This silly story also helps us understand the broader definition of prejudice. When we hear the word, most of us think of the sin of racial prejudice, where someone is looked down upon solely because they are from a different race than you. I think we hear the word prejudice and automatically deny it. But in the broader sense of the word, we are all prejudiced to some extent. Prejudice is defined as a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. This cookie-stealing lady was forming an opinion about this stranger without knowing anything about him. It's hard to admit, but if we're being honest, we often subconsciously assess and judge people without even realizing we're doing it. Our prejudices can end in discrimination, which is biased treatment based on someone's race, gender, religion, background, social status, etc. And some prejudice isn't even negative. My mom is Japanese, and every time someone would assume she would be great at math because she's Asian, she would say, that's prejudice. For whatever reason, she didn't want people assuming that she was good at math. They assumed they knew something about her based solely on her outward characteristics, her race. And that's prejudice. In essence, prejudice is the feeling and thought of prejudging, and discrimination is the act of treating the person differently because of the prejudice. So let's get to our passage and see what James says about prejudice and favoritism. James 2, 1 through 4 from the New Living Translation says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Ouch. Talk about a well-deserved conviction. James is warning the church to not show favoritism to someone, or in other words, be prejudiced against someone else, based strictly on the superficial external basis, such as appearance, clothes, jewelry, race, wealth, rank, or other social status, without considering the person's true merits, abilities, or character. God loves all of us the same. He is not distracted by these external characteristics because he looks at the heart. Here's a modern example for you. You're sitting in church at the 11 o'clock hour here at Harvest, and you have an empty seat next to you. And we all know those open seats are hard to come by if you're running in late. Two girls walk in. You don't know either of them. One is wearing the most adorable dress, fashionable hat, and perfect jewelry combination. The other has on a pair of dirty jeans, a ratty t-shirt, and unwashed hair. You stand up and intentionally make eye contact with the well-dressed girl and subtly wave her over to the seat next to you. Well, maybe you don't explicitly point the dirty girl to the exit door. You certainly aren't inviting her over. And when I say you here, I also mean me. You may laugh and say, Wendy, I would never do that. But maybe, just maybe, we would wish for that end result or do something similar in a more subtle way. It's understandable to be drawn to people that are like you or that you want to be like, but not at the expense of someone else. As we read on, James continues in verse 5 by saying, Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. 
James does not beat around the bush with his instruction. He basically tells the early church, stop with the prejudice nonsense because it's leading to unnecessary favoritism in your relationships. This advice is still valid for us today. As humans, we tend to put people into predetermined categories, ranking them by their appearance and their belongings, their background, their race, social status, personality, their intelligence, their wealth and power, the number of their social media followers, or their influence. We tend to focus on the wrong things, which leads us into the trap of favoritism. God looks at the heart, ours and theirs. So how do we break this pattern? We focus on the facts and combat prejudice with a goal. Evidence shows that setting goals can help trigger new behaviors, guide focus, and help sustain that momentum in life. We set goals for our careers, our finances, and our fitness. Why not set spiritual application goals as well? To help us apply our learning, let's use the acrostic GOAL. As Christians, it should be our goal to not play favorites. So G is for gain wisdom. When we lack wisdom, we tend to form our opinions based on our upbringing or personal experience. If our parents had prejudices of their own, there is a good chance that these opinions will be passed on to the next generation. One bad experience with a person from a particular group can cause one to think of all people from that group in the same way, which is clearly ridiculous. We have to keep looking back to God's word to remind us of how he sees each person, not how we see them. We can do this by studying God's word and replacing our prejudice with his truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Joshua 1.8 says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. When man follows his own way and relies on his own understanding, things will end poorly. If we make it our mission to know God and his word more today than yesterday, we've taken the first important step. Our prayer for wisdom should be, Lord, teach me to use your word as my guiding light. O is for oppose pride. Pride blinds us. It leads us to believe that we are better than everyone else. We can even subconsciously think that God loves us more than he loves others. And sometimes in our selfishness, we find a weakness in someone else to make ourselves feel superior. Pride is believing we are more deserving and putting ourselves above others, which is the exact opposite of what God commands us to do. Let's use Jonah as an example for this lesson. Jonah, like our cookie thief, learns a lesson of pride and judgment the hard way. You likely know the story. In a nutshell, God commissions Jonah to rebuke the Ninevites for their wickedness, and because Jonah has a strong personal opinion about the Ninevites, also known as prejudice, he ignores God's instruction. Unlike God, he doesn't see the Ninevites as souls to be saved. He sees them as undeserving and wicked people that aren't worth his energy. Jonah's arrogant attitude, whether it's racist, self-righteous, or both, prevents him from immediate obedience. He thought he knew better than God, and that prideful attitude always leads to trouble. Proverbs 14:12 says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. We likely have all heard that verse, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Humility, in contrast, gives the benefit of the doubt. Both pride and humility start in our thoughts, and then it shows up in our actions. 
Hold tight until we get to James 4 because that chapter will focus on submitting to God. And much of the instruction begins with humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. James 4, 6 says, And he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Our prayer against pride should be, Lord, help me to push pride aside so I can see others more clearly and how you would prefer. Our next letter is A. A is for align with God's view. If you go back to Genesis and the creation story, you will notice that God created mankind in his own image, and therefore all men and women are equal in value and worth in his eyes. To take it one step further, every person from every background, no matter their skin color, eye color, nationality, or their social status, is made by God and equal in his eyes. God doesn't have favorites, and he values each of us the same. Our challenge is to see others how he sees us. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. There are not first-class or second-class citizens in God's eyes. John MacArthur said, Every believer will receive the same eternal life, the same heavenly citizenship in the kingdom of God, and the same perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to them by the Father. Every one of his children will live in his house and bask alike in his presence and love. Our prayer for alignment should be, Lord, teach me to see others the way you see them. And lastly, L is for love others. When Jesus was asked what was the most important commandment, he gave a two-part answer. Love was the key word in both parts. First, we are commanded to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, to love our neighbor, no matter who it is, as ourselves. It doesn't mean we ignore differences, but it means if we love others, we can learn to enjoy their differences. In James's example, it focuses on not playing favorites based on wealth or lack thereof, but really this passage can be applied to any type of favoritism. We have to fight the urge to prefer those with popularity, influence at church, wealth, power, or beauty because those are factors God ignores, and he instructs us to ignore them as well. Romans 2.11 very clearly states, For God does not show favoritism. In John 13.34, Jesus says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And in Luke 11.28, Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Our prayer for love should be, Lord, help me to love and serve others as if unto you. So in review, GOAL stands for gain knowledge, oppose pride, align with God's view, and love others. As we wrap up, I want to leave you with a very important reminder. The Holy Spirit has not left us with this calling without His help. We are going to have thoughts of prejudice because our human sinful nature draws us this way. We don't have to be perfect. We simply need to have a goal and rely on the Holy Spirit to live our lives out of place of obedience. We don't have to be like the cookie thief from our story. If we look at others from God's lens, we will have a sound mind that sees clearly.